Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Lizzie. Sam. We are here. It's been a whole year. And we are queer. <laughs> Let me make that clear. <laughs> All right, shut it down. She's begun to rhyme. <laughs> I'm having such a good time. I will actually leave. <laughs> okay, look at that. I'm not rhyming anymore. Sit down. Happy uh, anniversary, you filthy animal. Happy anniversary. Wow. If we had a kid, it would be like babbling right now, right? It would be saying like, mama. And we'd be like, uh-huh, that's me. <laughs> I'm your mother. <laughs> I am your mother. Oh, God, if we had a kid, it would be the gayest kid. We're probably oh my God. straight out of rebellion. <gasps> Could you imagine? Is there a movie about that? Wait. That's a rom-com in the making. <laughs> okay, Lizzie. We're here. It's been a year. Now you're the one rhyming. I don't okay, let me <laughs> I'll take that again. Okay, Lizzie. A whole year. We're still here. We're still queer. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beer. I swear to God, what has come over us? We just have the giggles. We're so happy to have made it this far. It's really crazy, actually. No, this is surreal, honestly. How many episodes has it been now? God, I think this would be number 40, 45? Wow, not including any of the Patreon stuff either. Yeah, not including the Patreons and some that we like scrapped after record. Yeah, there have been episodes that you will never put your ears on. I'm sorry, but it's for <laughs> your benefit. Trust me. Absolutely. Uh, before we move on with all the fun and weird shit we're going to talk about for our anniversary episode. Just want to give a quick shout out. Thank you so much to all of you listeners. If you've listened to a single episode, if you listen to all fucking 45, you fucking freak. And to also our Patreon members, thank you so much. That was something we launched probably about halfway through this process. And y'all support and just engagement all across all of our social media platforms has been so nice. We really do love hearing y'all's opinions. Yeah, and if you want to join our Patreon, now's the time. You can find us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. Lots of tears, lots of perks, lots of lots of lots of fun giggles. Yeah, uh, and if that's not something you're interested in, we are really just glad to share this uh, time with you. A whole fucking year of this, and it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, and it's not slowing down. No. You know what's funny? One of the biggest fears that like kept me up at night when we first started this podcast was I was like... We're going to run out of movies to talk about. Yeah, I had the same one. And I was like, this is going to be the shortest podcast ever. Like, there's not that many queer subtextual movies. Boy, <laughs> were we fucking wrong. It's honestly everywhere. Like, almost every single movie I see, even when I'm not intending to. And that's just been, like, the loveliest surprise. Yeah, and you guys are sending us, like, in comments all over the place about other things we need to watch, which we've never heard of. So I think we could rest assured that our work is not done yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. All right. So how do we want to kick off this anniversary episode? Wow. There's a lot of things that we can talk about today. I, I know we want to kind of reflect on some episodes that we really liked, some episodes you guys really liked, some episodes you guys really did not like, <laughs> <laughs> as well as um, there is a lot of common themes in some of these movies that I think are worth pointing out. We also have a couple of episode updates. I know I found like little news articles and little facts that didn't come up in the original record for those episodes that I would like to bring back into the picture. It's just going to be jam-packed. Jam-packed. So before we jump into our favorite episodes, we would be completely remiss without giving a humongous shout out to Lee Garcia, our producer. 
He's the person that keeps the sound on, the lights on, <laughs> me and Lizzie from hurting each other. Oh, thank you guys. How do you feel, Lee? It's been a whole year. It's been great. You know, I remember like when we were first recording, I guess we've always kind of been in this building, but in different rooms. I remember like putting up uh, blankets and, <laughs> you know, tweaking everything. And uh, I think we finally kind of got a nice little system going. And yeah, you guys have been awesome from the get-go. Like super impressed with this podcast. We really could not do it without you. People say that and don't mean it, but I no. couldn't mean that anymore than those this words expressed. This podcast would be shit if we didn't have you, Lee. Thank you for all the hours and all the knowledge you've passed over to us. I've really learned a lot from you on the editing side of things too. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Also another shout out to our other producer, Bruno Doria, who you haven't heard on the mic yet, but you hear his theme song and the intro every episode. And if you see any of our video stuff, he helped us put together all the visuals for this. So big thanks to Bruno. He's in the other room drinking a beer. Love you. I hope that came up on the mic. Yeah, I should have planted a mic. (laughs) Maybe if he's feeling inclined, we can get him on the mic to say something. He's, I don't think we've ever been able to get him on. He's like our secret phantom producer. Our mysterious benefactor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mr. Big or... Wait, what's the one from Annie? Daddy... Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks. He's the Daddy Warbucks of this operation. Isn't that guy good? I thought he was bad. No, he ends up adopting Annie. He's like kind of gruff and then he comes around. Spoilers. To Annie? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of Great Expectations, Mysterious Benefactor, but that's not a cool movie with dancing children. I guess there is children, but dancing children. Starving children more like. Anyway, (laughs) so Sam, what were your favorite episodes or your like noteworthy ones? Some of the most fun I've ever had recording this podcast would have to be (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I, it's a kind of a recent one, but I had such a blast recording that episode, preparing that episode, sharing my deranged thoughts with Lizzie. That was so much fucking fun. But if I'm looking back at the whole catalog, I know that Fried Green Tomatoes really does hold a special little place in my heart. That was back before we used to make each other watch the films. So like I hadn't seen Fried Green Tomatoes and I'm so glad we switched to watching each other's films because what a stupid idea to not. (laughs) I don't know why that didn't occur to us at first, but that episode worked so well. And I still haven't seen the movie because I don't feel like I need to. (laughs) It'll be worth it when you do see it. Yeah. What about you? The episode that brings me like the most pride that I think I really learned the most and had like the most fruitful experience recording was actually the first episode we ever had with guests. And that was the Happy Together episode with Producer Lee and Charles from the Northern Overexposure podcast. I just remember leaving that day feeling like so fulfilled and so just like happy with all the different perspectives that were brought. And it's such a great film uh, and really stands out from most of the drabble that we do otherwise on the podcast. And it was really fun to do it with guests, too. I remember being nervous about having someone else in the room. And granted, these are like two very kind friends that we know uh, pretty well, especially Lee, but it was it was a great experience. And I look back on that one fondly. Yeah, Lee, what how is that experience for you? Have you and Charles like often double like have you and Charles often gone on podcasts together? Uh we've done it before and uh I think it's always fun because you get to like I mean Charles and I talk about a lot of stuff away from the podcast, but you know, we get super nerdy about northern exposure. So it's nice to like use those same analytical muscles on something else and like a movie that we love, happy together. Um, and yeah, that was that was an awesome episode. 
I just want to say you guys don't give yourself enough credit because it's not just like babbling. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but you guys have some really great uh, analysis and critique as well. Oh, thank you. Do you, you have a, a favorite episode that's coming I was, to mind? I don't, I'm, I remember when we had first started this podcast, I was like, you know, this will be fun. And then actually listening to it, like some of those earlier episodes, I was like, wow, they, like you guys have such good insights about this stuff. So I don't know, a lot of the earlier stuff, if I were to try to pick like my favorite episodes, it would probably lean towards like the the movies that I actually really liked. And uh, I think like the ones that I, I hadn't seen, but I saw because of this podcast, like Carol and Spencer, mm. I remember really loving those. Those were two classy episodes. Yeah, those are yeah, some classy that ones. Was before we like let it all hang but out. My best friend's wedding and she's the man were really fun. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I have my best friend's wedding listed here. That there's like that joke where uh, Donald Glover is like doing stand up, and he's talking about like he was in his car like playing his own music, and his friend turns to him and says like, "You listen to your own music?" <laughs> and I think about that all the time because the one episodes I actually have listened to more than once, just on my own, is my best friend's wedding. Like I'll listen to it whenever like. I go away out of town for a while and I just like miss our banter. I think we really like hit some sort of stride with that one. And also pulled like you pulled some serious subtext out of my best friend's wedding. Uh, Friggin fantastic job. When I think of my favorite episodes, I always hold the intellectual conversations we have really close to my heart. Those are usually like on Lizzie's end who reads a whole book and a screenplay and annotates everything. And I just come in kind of fucking crazy with like Fast and the Furious, which is another one of my favorites. Literally probably my number one favorite episode is Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I think because um, the intellectual ones are like the best part of ourselves. Like, and then the the ones that we don't take so seriously are kind of the they remind me of exactly how we talk to each other when the microphones aren't on. So it's like more nostalgic for me. Yeah. A great blend. And we're we're going to keep mixing it up. Who knows? We might do something totally different in a year or two. We've learned a lot. I'll do something sad and Lizzie will do something fucking stupid. And horny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> All right. So those are the ones that we liked. Let's hear a little bit about the ones you liked as well as the ones you did not like. <laughs> so, okay, best and, and worst performing episodes. Let's see, you've got the stats. I've got the stats. Okay, so the top five performing episodes that had the most downloads, most listens. That includes one we mentioned here, Fried Green Tomatoes, our very first episode, as well as Sam's birthday episode, The Blair Witch Project. Surprisingly... Uh, surprisingly high views on that one, as well as <laughs> Sam's episode, Girl Interrupted which is probably one of the best breakdowns and conversations I think we had about any film and book. That's where I cosplayed as Lizzie and I brought my annotated uh, memoir. Yeah, The Blair Witch Project, I can't take credit for the success of that episode. Yes, oh, you can. Yeah, I'm glad that that people downloaded it. I, I love that episode very much, but I did post a TikTok that went semi-viral related to that. And so it was a lot of new listeners first listens. Um, and I'm glad that's the one they landed on because I am really proud of it. But it, we did go a little bit viral for that. So that makes a lot of sense. Just a little bit. It's funny that that's like the most popular one and it's not the gay one I know. All. It's the only not gay one. <laughs> oh, fucking well. We're still doing what we're doing, okay? Yeah. And then the other one that got a lot of hits was uh, our episode with Susan Gordon, Matilda, which yes. is a fucking classic. Yeah. And Susan did a fantastic job. I told Lizzie uh, before we recorded, like, I'm worried 
that maybe all of our voices will like blend together. No. No. Susan, <laughs> Susan, you could... Uh, Thank you so much. Susan has like four different voices. Like, yes. <laughs> Susan, you have such a distinct voice and you did so incredible on the podcast. I go back and I listen to that episode whenever I miss Susan. We laughed so much in that episode. Uh, so there was one episode in particular that you guys really didn't care for. And, you know, we had some technical difficulties. We like to joke that that episode was especially cursed because we had so much trouble even recording it. And Lizzie, would you like to tell them what film that was? The... Worst performing episode <laughs> in the history of subtextual was one that personally plagued me for over a month, and that is the Lizzie Board movie Lizzie. That was like halfway into our season last year. We sat down to record this at least twice. We mm. recorded it all the way through once, mm -hmm. but I just fucking hated it. Mm -hmm. And then something went crazy the second time, so we just skipped it. Yeah, and if. Finally, just to, like, spite the ghost of Lizzie Borden, I just put that shit out. I have nothing against the film or Lizzie Borden. It, it was purely me. <laughs> but I, I hear y'all. I don't like that episode either. <laughs> what does worst performing mean? Like, least downloads? Yeah, or least, least number downloads. of plays. Least plays. Yeah, and we are grabbing this information from a lot of different places, like all platforms we upload to, um, display their data in a lot of different ways. So this is just kind of a guesstimation about the success of, this of these episodes. This is pure analical science, Sam. <laughs> this is unrefuted down to the decimal point accuracy. We know where all of you live. We have all your IP addresses. <laughs> no, I, I think, Lizzie, I fucking love that episode. It's, it seems <laughs> weird to say. And I've always wanted to like, this is unrelated, but when I really love a musician's work, when I like watch interviews with them, I wish someone would ask them like, hey, do you like not like any of your own songs anymore? Because <gasps> I mean, question. it's sometimes you see musicians live and they look like really upset that they have to perform a song that everyone wants to hear. Yeah. And I would just love to know what, what artists would consider like something they didn't like of the work that they've put out. So I want you guys to know it might've been the least well-performing of our episodes, but it brings me so much fucking joy. It's still an iconic moment within <laughs> itself. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about the films that were best regarded as in the way of a subtextual score. So yeah, as y'all know, at the end of every episode, we rank them based on goodness and gayness, um, which are not always in alignment. I guess we'll start with our top five. So our fifth best film with the highest score on this podcast is Happy Together. Happy Together, like Lizzie was referencing uh, with Lee and Charles. Great film, which was released in 1997. It was both gay and good, mm -hmm. giving it an overall subtextual square of 8.88. So our fourth seat is actually split between three films, all of which are gay and all of which are good. Mm -hmm. That is Brokeback Mountain, Being John Malkovich, and Jennifer's Body. Wow, I would love to see a Venn diagram with like all the similarities <laughs> between those movies other than that we rated them a 9.5. If we put those movies in the same room, they would not have a conversation <laughs> with each other, you know? They wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> uh, being John Malkovich was um, a lot of fun to record. I don't think it's a very popular episode, but I love dissecting it because like I can't even fucking understand that movie sometimes. But Jennifer's Body is pretty recent and... Gosh, that, I think that record took three hours. Yeah. We had to cut like a whole hour of it. And that was such a blast. That was our first extravaganza. So I hope you guys like that. We'll be doing more of those for these like super heavy hitters that just require a lot more 
attention. Yeah. That film needed every second of that. And I had more to say. Yeah. <laughs> you can say it today. Um, no, I'll wait to the <laughs> okay, amendments. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so our number three in our top five selections is The Favorite, coming in at a 9.75. Very, very well-deserved. That's a classy movie that's fun and gay. That almost never happens. Exactly. And we look forward to Yorgos Lanthimos apparently has two films currently in the pipeline for the next year or so. So I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Wait, there was one that was announced. Um, who's in it? Yorgos is actually filming a movie as we speak in the city we live in. No. With, um, let's see, the cast is Emma Stone, Jesse Plemons, Willem Dafoe, Margaret Qualley, and Hong Chow. And it's called And. The word And. Oh, my gosh. Like, we could walk outside right now and possibly run into that set. I would be most excited to run into Jesse Plemons. <gasps> I would die to run into Jesse Plemons. I know where Willem Dafoe's staying. I know which hotel he's at. <gasps> really? Yeah. Okay, it would be... It must be great to be Jesse Plemons because the yeah. people who know who you are are obsessed with you, but most people have no idea because you look so normal. It's perfect. Like the work he does too is so good and rich. Like, you know, you're only going to get fans. Like no one's going to go up to Jesse Plemons and be like, hey, man, fuck you. I hated you and other people. <laughs> he's a, he's a character act. He's a character actor in the like style of Alice and Janie where it's like when they're in character, they're super recognizable, but then they just get to live the rest of their lives as normal yeah. people. Exactly. So yeah, that's what Yorgos is up to. Oh, yeah. And then the other film is called Poor Things. It's apparently based on a book. This one was filmed at Hungary and is in post. That one also stars Emma Stone. He loves that bitch. Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, and Mark Ruffalo. Don't know too much about it, but I'll watch anything he makes, to be honest. Yeah, I'm here. Butts in the seat. Um, so yeah, the favorite, Yorgos Lanthimos, came in at number three. And at number two on our top five, we have The Power of the Dog. At 9.88. Um, this actually was not a very popular episode. I think the film is quite dry. Mm -hmm. um, but that one was delicious to unravel. Both the book and the movie are just so vaguely subtextual. And Benedict Cumberbatch is such a freak. Love him. Oh, and Jesse Plemons' wife, Kirsten Dunst, is in that film. Jesse Plemons is in it. Jesse Plemons is in it. <laughs> He's one of our, like, reoccurring characters. We fucking love Jesse Plemons. Um, that was so much fun. Lizzie and I were, like, hyper fixated on that movie for a minute. We dressed up as them for our Oscar party, which we hosted. <laughs> uh, we did do that, didn't we? It was so much fun. We were so sure that that film was going to sweep the Oscars, and we were wrong. The egg on my face. The <laughs> egg. I, I think I chose it for, like, over 50% of the categories. Yeah. I did not do so well in the Oscar game that we play every year. But there's always next year. Yes. Um, okay, number one. Number one. This is actually shared between two Marvelous films mm -hmm. that are both quite gay and both quite good because they both got a perfect 10 score. And that is Carol, 2015 release, Todd Haynes, and Everything Everywhere All at Once from this year. I, I couldn't think of two movies that deserve it more, honestly. Two movies I I would like to revisit every year for the rest of my life. Absolutely. I think it's also interesting that Lizzie and I have both presented like about the same amount of films in our top 10. We like, we do stupid stuff in the middle and then we do really important films throughout. And yeah, you did, you chose Carol. I chose Everything Everywhere All at yeah. Once. 
And both of those I could watch on an infinite loop forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially everything, everywhere, all at once. That's going to be my power of the dog for this upcoming Oscars. All right. Now let's get to our stankers. Let's get the little stinky, stinky little rat boys out here. <laughs> uh, could you bring out the stinky little rat boys that we have uh, waiting for us? <laughs> all right. You lead this one. Oh, God. I feel responsible for some of these guys. Wow. <laughs> And let's just say being in the bottom five is nothing to cry about. A lot of fantastic films are in this bottom five simply because they were not gay at all. The The fifth spot is actually shared between two films, uh, Scooby-Doo with a score of 5.5, uh, which is a lot of that episode. Like I said, it's a lot of fun, but not very gay. Actually, pretty subtextual. Pretty subtextual. Not overtly queer is is how I meant. And then Interview with the Vampire 1994 also shares that score of a 5.5. I'd say they are just about equal amounts of gay. Yeah, yeah. Because the the writers had a very specific intention. Yeah, but it didn't, I mean, it does come across on Interview with a Vampire, but it's never like 100% sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. Velma and Daphne are not 100% together, but... It's funny, yeah, that those two are in the bottom five and they're like some of the most subtextual films we've ever covered. Uh, Fourth place goes to Deadpool 1 and 2, the Deadpool franchise, with a score of 5.38. That was neither gay nor good. (laughs) Yeah, and which is a shame because that character is canonically queer in their creation IP. So to de-queerify something and put it on the big screen is not fun. It's a surefire way to get into the bottom five over here at Subtextual. Sure enough. Yes. And, okay, number three, I'm fully responsible for. (laughs) Um, That is the Fast and the Furious 2001 with a score of 5.13. This is still my number one favorite episode. (laughs) Sometimes I'm oscillating, but yes, I fucking love the Fast and the Furious episode, mostly because that's been the episode people have spoken to me most in public and said, what the fuck is up with the Fast and the Furious episode? I have a friend who is furious <laughs> about that episode. It has, like, changed his life because he grew up watching those movies. And I said, now you can't unsee it, babe. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> <laughs> They're kissing, babes. All right. Number two, also something I'm responsible for. <laughs> this is a trend, folks. Um, 1997 film, My Best Friend's Wedding, with a subtextual score of 4.63. While good, it was not gay hardly at all. And it was also a little bad, but we love it. I love that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember, folks, just because something is scored poorly does not mean the film is not completely fucking amazing. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for the number one stinker? What is it? I can smell it from here. We all know, folks. <laughs> we all know. Do I have to say it? We know. We make fun of this movie all of time for having a literal queer character on screen and yet somehow not even broaching a three on the sexual <laughs> score chart. So the pork chop of the season, <laughs> if we shall say, our number one bottom film is 1999's The Haunting with a whopping, is, that's probably not the right word, with a wimpy. Wimping. <laughs> 2.88. That is points difference from the next ranking. <laughs> So bad, but I truly would watch it again. I love knowing that Steven Spielberg had something to do with this. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, you better take my fucking name off that movie this 
instant. Oh, God, that movie was so fucking bad. And like I said, it could be bad and I could enjoy it, which is the case for this film. It's bad. I know it's bad. But sometimes I kind of want to see it. Yeah, sometimes I want to get Owen Wilson just... I just want to see him just get murdered. Just yes. outright murdered. <laughs> that's the right word. Did I use that right? I believe so. <laughs> it takes so long for anyone to fucking die in that movie. Are, are we doing spoilers in this episode? Is that bad? If we spoil the haunting for anyone, like, shh, um, you didn't want to watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you made it this far in your life without it, so I yeah. think you're fine. But yeah, I would really be interested to see how you guys score those films that we mentioned, um, if you think we got any of them wrong. Some of those... I was just going off feels, mm-hmm. and some of those I feel very staunchly about. So, yeah, is there any scores of yours you would change? No, I stand by everything I've ever said. Oh, okay. I would not change a single thing about myself. <laughs> uh, okay. Or my work. I am <laughs> oh, perfect. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Would you change anything? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. I think Interview with a Vampire might have been more technically good to have maybe deserved a better score. Then I gave it maybe by like a point or two, nothing crazy. I haven't like changed a whole lot on that. But when I listened back, I was like, it's not that bad. You just hate Tom Cruise and you just like couldn't get off of that. Yeah, I could not remove Tom Cruise from my experience of that film. Um, but yeah, I think the rest of them are pretty, pretty on it. Yeah, I, I feel good about every 10 I've ever given, which is important to me. So of all the films that we've done, 45 episodes... There's a lot of common denominators here, Lizzie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of usual suspects that came up. And we named a couple of them. Jesse Plemons was one. Uh, I'll name my favorite. I personally brought Kenny Ortega into this magical world of subtextual at least twice with Hocus Pocus and Dirty Dancing. And you will see more of this man in 2023 whenever we cover High School Musical. Um, I brought a lot of Kristen Stewart to the table. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. With (laughs) Happiest Season and Spencer. We also mention her like every other episode. We do mention her a lot. And I did, mind you, do those episodes back to back. Uh, (laughs) It was a mini Stuganza. A mini extravaganza to Kristen Stewart. There's something there. Mm -hmm. Also, Kira Knightley came up a, a good bit. Yeah. Um, I brought Ben like Beckham to the table. You, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean. Two of her earliest films. I think her epitome of gay icon. Iconography. Gay iconography. And another gay icon that came up twice is good old Rupert Everett playing George in My Best Friend's Wedding, one of the best characters of all time, and then with a very different heart-wrenching performance in My Policeman. I love that man. We also, as Lizzie pointed out, if you follow us on social media, we've mentioned, we've done two films and then mentioned heavily another film that used the iconic phrase, I am your mother. Yes. We had a (laughs) lot of mommy issues this season. And I think those were my movies that I stacked like back to back to back to back. Back to back to back. Let's see. It was The Babadook. Babadook. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yes. And then in some of our Halloween episodes, we brought up Hereditary. Hereditary, Which is like the origin of that phrase in my mind. It's what I know it from the most. I've never even seen the damn film. If you know that phrase from Hereditary, I like dare you to say those words together, not with that, I am your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are like broken records here. We love mommy issues. Mm -hmm. I think we've said Twilight about 2,800 times sitting in this small closet. (laughs) 
And we haven't even covered those films, not even close. I think we should just throw caution to the wind and just do Twilight. I'm so in. I will watch that movie anytime. It is the most shocking experience for me. It's like receiving like 20 volts straight to the heart every time I watch that damn movie. Yeah, it's like an equivalent of like a Four loco original recipe for <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, with the energy drink in it <laughs> before they got sued. Before they stopped being fucking cool. That, yeah, we, we've got to do Twilight with just the amount of fucking time we've spent talking about it. Yeah, lots of book to film adaptations. Yeah. Tons, like. A quarter of our episodes, actually. Twelve of them. Wow, really? Yeah. And those are some of my favorite episodes to do. I just love having multiple pieces of material, too. Oh, if you could turn, if you could turn any of the movies we've covered into a book, which of our non-book episodes do you think would make the best novel? Ugh, can I think about that for a second? Yes. That's a very good question. Of course. Um, while you think about that, there is only one director, or I guess pair of directors, that we covered more than one of their pieces of work, and that is The Daniels. We covered Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is their more recent release, and then their directorial debut with Swiss Army Man. I hope their third film is just as gay, if not more gay, than those two. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned The Daniels because... If I'm thinking about the films we've covered that haven't been books, Everything Everywhere All at Once would be an incredible book or yeah, graphic, novel graphic novel in yeah. the style of like Alan Moore, V for Vendetta, like a real thick, chunky one. You're like flashing through. That would be really amazing. I would also really love to read Being John Malkovich as a as a novel. It might be one of those things like Clockwork Orange where you read it the first time and you're like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would make more sense as a book. Yeah. Because we could get more of the inner workings of everything and maybe how it worked a little bit. Who knows? Yeah. It doesn't really matter how it worked. Well, I'm glad we're talking about books because one of the amendments I had for this year anniversary was a conversation we had in one of our first films we covered that was based off of a book, uh, Carol. Oh, what she got for me? Okay. Um, might I direct you to the clip in question? Okay. The book was republished under Patricia Highsmith's actual name and then with the new title, Carol. Um, the Price of Salt. It's such a delicious title. Do you have any thoughts on why the book might have been called that? No, and there's also, like, nothing in the movie that would tip me off as to what that means. Yeah, it's very subtle. I, I had to chew on that for a while, honestly, but what it kind of came down to is um, it reminds me of that phrase, the salt of the earth. Mm -hmm. If someone is, like, the salt of the earth, they're, like, the essence, the everything. Oh, yeah, I remember that little convo. I love looking into why things are named things, and we were talking about how the original— uh, the novel Carol was originally released under the title Price of Salt. Uh, did you, like, have any additional thoughts to add to that? Yeah. So at the end of that taping, Lizzie very kindly gifted me a copy of the book Carol, which was previously titled The Price of Salt. And I stumbled on something in the end, which kind of gave me like a light bulb moment with the the meaning of the title of the book. After I thought I knew what the title meant, I went online and people have said that the term salt had only ever come up once in the entire book. Mm -hmm. And it's in this phrase, the music lived, but the world was dead and the song would die one day, she thought, but how would the world come back to life? How would its salt come back? Mm. People have agreed online that's the only where in, that's the only place in the book that salt is mentioned, but I found a place and I want to read it for you now. 
Okay. Oh, I love a book reading. Um, so if you remember the the characters of Carol, there's Therese Bellavette, and then Carol uh, Therese is played by Rooney Mara. And then in the film, there's one character who works at the magazine who gets her a job and he is interested in her. I think at one point in the movie, he kisses her and she kind of runs away. But in the book, they have a closer relationship. And this is an interaction that they have after Carol and Therese have split up. She was shy with him, yet somehow close, a closeness charged with something she had never felt with Richard, something suspenseful that she enjoyed. A little salt, she thought. She looked at Danny's hand on the table, at the strong muscle that bulged below the thumb. She remembered his hands on her shoulder that day in his room. The memory was a pleasant one. You did miss me a little, didn't you, Terry? Of course. Hmm. Would you say that, good catch, by the way. Thank you. To find salt where it wasn't seen before. Do you think that the use of the word salt is used in a similar way in both mentions in the book? Yeah, I think all of this to say what I believe now, having read the book, the title to mean is that salt, to have salt, is to season, as in like the spice of life. And you might have mentioned this in your episode, but more specifically, to have passion and love and authenticness and presentness, specifically around like a romantic connection with someone else. So uh, that was a revelation I had after finishing the book and stepping away from the episode. So I did just want to plug it here. But the book is really fantastic. Lizzie had recommended you read it in that episode. I couldn't agree more having read it now. Especially now that it's basically Christmas time. It's such a good, cozy, snowy weather book. And in fact, that's the first time I read it was when we went to New York together in like late November uh, around my birthday and we like went to a little coffee shop and would read our little respective books. <laughs> that's the best. That's the key to a best friend trip. Bring someone who also likes to read a book. Then you can just like sit down for two hours because being a tourist is hard walking around all over the place. So just yeah. find someone who also likes to read a book. And make them read a gay book. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So that's an amendment I had. I have not really an amendment, but a, a semi-update, I guess, on... Another Christmas episode we did, Happiest Season. So for some reason in the back of my mind, I had it as like a possibility that they would be doing a sequel. And I looked into it to see if anything had come of that. This like rumor in my head came from just one very meager source, but it's a TikTok of Aubrey Plaza at a book <laughs> signing. And someone in the book signing line is like, asking her about her work and asking her about Happiest Season. And basically she, Aubrey Plaza herself says that she wants to come back so Riley can have her chance at love. And it's kind of insinuated that she wanted to replay that character. So this like seed grew in my mind so much that I was like fully believing that Happiest Season 2 was going to be like announced on Hulu like any day now. Yeah. But it hasn't come and I looked into it, and there was another journalist who recently had the same thoughts as me and asked Clea Duvall, the director of Happiest Season, in an interview if there was a sequel on the horizon. And unless Clea Duvall is really good at remaining coy, it actually does not seem that there is a sequel actively in the works. She said, I mean, there's nothing planned right now, but I would love to make a sequel. It was such a fun experience, and everyone is so good and so nice and got along so well. It really felt like one of those lightning in a bottle type situations. So I hope so. Lizzie, I want you to know I have that tab pulled up on my browser right now. I was going to give the same amendment. I know exactly. Oh my God, we both wanted it so bad. <laughs> I know the exact video you're referencing where like Aubrey Plaza is signing the book. And I think she says something of like, 
well, you could look forward to it. Yeah. And like gives them like a little devilish look, which makes it seem very real. And yeah. I could, I believe, I would believe anything Aubrey Plaza told me oh. ever. So I, I thought it was absolutely happening. And then I looked it up and got really sad. <laughs> yeah. As much as that movie makes me sad, I was ready for another lesbian holiday movie. No matter how good or bad it was, I really didn't care. But if Aubrey Plaza was involved, you could not pay to keep me away. No, you couldn't. But you would think with the amount of fucking sequels and reboots and shit they're shoving down our throats, like, if we actually want one, they don't give it to us. It's so fucking infuriating. Just do it. It's a holiday movie. It's like, it takes, like, no money, no effort. It doesn't even have to be good. <laughs> we'll watch it anyway. No, we will We will absolutely devour it. Maybe, maybe someday we'll yeah. get it. I mean, the door is definitely open. Clea Duvall says, I would love to make a sequel. So... She put it out there. Um, I have an update from kind of a recent episode. Um, this was in like the budget world, which I love talking about budgets and numbers. But in our Hocus Pocus episode, and for those of you who are on Patreon, we covered Hocus Pocus 2. Um, I wanted to compare the budgets of the two films to see like with the sequel, were they allotted any extra money? Was the budget docked? So I was just curious how that might have played into the quality of the second one. But at the time that we recorded Hocus Pocus 2 for our Patreon, that budget information was not yet available, but it now is. So I just wanted to um, update that episode with this information. So the original Hocus Pocus budget was $28 million, uh, but looking at inflation from when it was created in the early 90s, that actually comes closer to $51 million. And the sequel, Hocus Pocus 2, released a budget of $40 million. So there was actually more resources allotted to the original, even though most of the cast and crew talk about the film like a low-budget film. And I guess for the amount of special effects and crazy sets and how long the shoot was, it was a low-budget. But they actually trimmed the second one down to $40 million which I think is interesting. And I guess most of that probably went to the cast um, mm. to get them back because they're all much bigger actors now, which makes a lot of sense because, I mean, the, not that the quality of the second one isn't good, but it's just simpler. You know, the sets aren't as grand. You can tell a lot of it's like VFX and green screen and we go to a lot of the same places again and again. So not the most groundbreaking information, but something I found interesting because it was one thing I wanted to know about while we were talking about the making of those two films. Yeah. And um, in the production of the original Hocus Pocus, practical effects are notoriously challenging, expensive, and finicky. I can imagine they've, they probably spent so many resources on like book and, and yeah. Billy's prosthetics, like ev every- The cat. The cat, all of that must have just ate into their budget substantially. So it makes sense why it's a little bit easier now for Disney to do it all in-house when they have all this shit anyways. Yeah. And also like a major thing about how films used to be made, probably up until digital filmmaking became more of a thing in the mid-2000s, is that I think productions have gotten so much shorter. Mm -hmm. They try to shoot them so much quicker. They don't take time. Like, I think it took five months to shoot the original Hocus Pocus. And I seriously doubt Hocus Pocus 2 took half of that time. They just kind of want to like rip through them. You know, the less number of days on set, the less the budget can be. Therefore, the higher the profit margin. So I, it does make some films suffer. And though they can like bolster a lot with visual effects, I always prefer a 
practical effect to a visual effect. Yeah. And if you think about the model, like the business model of Hocus Pocus 2, it's going straight to Disney Plus right. subscribers anyway. They're not seeing mar- like they're not seeing a profit margin in the standard way you would consider a regular box office film where they make the money back or they don't. Maybe more people subscribe to Disney Plus, maybe they didn't, but it wouldn't really in- embolden them to allocate a larger budget if, you know, they are already making a shit ton off of Disney+. Plus. Exactly. I always wondered how that works. Like, Netflix has so many original movies, and they so rarely release them in theaters. I guess the idea is to, like, maintain their current audience or try to attract more audience members. But they put so much money into acquiring these, they call them originals, but most of the time they're just buying films that have already been produced or are in post or whatever, and they're not actually original. The only Netflix... Netflix original that went to theaters. Wasn't it just Roma? I think there's been a couple more this year. Uh, So they're kind of entering that market. But I mean, literally every other fucking film on Netflix is an original. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't think they have any involvement in the production of them. Maybe some of them, but yeah, like the Adam Sandler ones, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so an amendment I'd like to make is a quote that I misquoted. I forget in what episode, but it was brought to my attention by the incredible Susan Gordon, who (laughs) was a guest on our Matilda episode. I think I said, get away from my daughter, you bitch, Uh, which was a hack job of two separate quotes. One, of course, from the incredible Sigourney Weaver in Aliens who said, get away from her, you bitch. And then the second being Molly Weasley in the final episode of Harry Potter saying, not my daughter, you bitch. (laughs) Okay. I do not remember where you said that, but I do have that clip like ringing in my head somewhere. I just like magically put them together and was like, that's from Harry Potter. And Susan was like, that's from Aliens. And I looked it up and I was like, that's from neither. I fucking kind of put those two together. (laughs) I Frankenstein that shit. Absolutely. It sounds good. Not my daughter, you bitch. Thank you for that update, Sam. (laughs) It's been eating me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just have one more update. And this is, this is from our Deadpool one and two episode back in May. So since then, We knew Deadpool 3 was coming, but they have released a little teaser. And like I mentioned earlier in this episode and in the Deadpool episodes, the Deadpool character in the comic books uh, is written as a pansexual character, basically explicitly so. And though we do get like kind of a flavor of flirtiness uh, across all the gender spectrum from Deadpool, two characters in the film, he is most assuredly in a hetero relationship and there is no like actual intention to queer that character in any meaningful way but they did give us megasonic teenage warhead and yuki so that's something i think my favorite part of that movie is the reference to sinead o'connor and everything Mm -hmm. else feels like a betrayal to me (laughs) sam is not a fan of these movies i am not there was a rumor actually that i talked about in that episode and i did a little more diving into that rumor, but basically it was kind of circulating on the internet that Ryan Reynolds at some point said that he wanted the character to be explicitly bi. Um, but when I tried to chase down the source of that, it was just like a kind of an endless loop of different articles referring to articles, referring to articles mm. that eventually got nowhere. So if that was in fact said by Ryan Reynolds, I wasn't able to find the original source for it. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. I still hold out that Deadpool 3 could be queer 
the teaser doesn't give me much hope. Specifically, this is a teaser found on Ryan Reynolds's YouTube. Hey everyone, uh, we're extremely sad to have missed D23, but we've been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for uh, a good long while now. I've had to really search my soul on this one. It's been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside. And I have nothing. Yeah, just completely empty up here. But we did have one idea. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. What? You won't let me escape the grasp of this fucking movie. I, I think I like Deadpool, the character. I think I like the character. I don't think I love the movie so much. But the trailer that Lizzie just showed me, the teaser, includes Hugh Jackman for a moment. And then they play Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, which is fun. But it feels queer baiting again. Yes, it's like the exact same thing they did with the Sinead O'Connor song. Yeah, I'm I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah. How do you I, feel about it? I don't feel super good about it because now they're entering the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whatever the fuck that means. And I'm just like, oh, it's just going to be even more like repressed. That being said, I enjoy the Deadpool movies. I think they're fun. It did really aggravate me in doing research and how much they just like totally washed out all queer mentions except for like goofy little giggles and butt grabs for the Deadpool character. But whatever. Maybe we'll be surprised. I'm not getting my hopes up. I will see the movie. I'm like a fucking mortal. I'm a mere mortal living in America. What do you want me to do? Not see the latest Marvel release? Like, the new Black Panther is coming out. I'm going to fucking see it, okay? Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going <laughs> to see all this shit anyways. I, I don't... Ugh, Deadpool, I didn't think I felt any type of way until you presented that episode because I thought the, like, queerness... I'm saying queerness with quotation marks because it just seemed like locker room... Hey, man, I yeah. do ya, you know, yeah. like sort of things guys do to like be funny and are essentially still homophobic. Mm -hmm. um, it seemed like that kind of humor. And then to see that that was the product of what was like a very long comic run of this character being actually canonically queer and true to themselves was just turned into that, mm -hmm. made it even more sour for me. Mm -hmm. um, so this feels like a fucking cherry on the Sunday of if they don't have fucking sex in the third movie, I'm going to really hate this franchise. Yeah, because now Vanessa's dead. His girlfriend's dead. She's not coming back. She's not signed on to the third one. That actress isn't. So he's single. If he's not fucking gay in the next movie, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to be mad about it for about a few days. We're going to talk about it with each other. <laughs> you guys are going to hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn, it's been a hell of a year, though. We've talked about Basically every genre of film under the sun except for like, I don't know, war drama. Um, yeah, we do shy away from <laughs> war films. <laughs> Is there any movie we did about war? I mean, Miss Congeniality, she goes against the war on terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. Uh, yes. And that's pre-9-11, folks. <laughs> Um, Crazy Lou Freebush is a true American hero. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a whole year, Lizzie. I, I mean, I don't know what to say other than I'm so glad to have been here with you. You're the best partner I could have asked for. And I know that we disagree sometimes, <laughs> but that makes it more fun for me. 
Yeah, I like that we can argue because honestly, everyone in our life is so like kind and like minded that it feels good to let it out with someone. <laughs> and I'm glad we can just let that shit roll off our backs. Yeah, it was like another one of those little unknowns when we started this podcast is like we spend so much time talking about movies, going to movies, watching movies together, like sharing movie images and news and everything. And I was wondering, like, are we going to get tired of doing that and just like our normal day-to-day life by doing this podcast? And I can say absolutely not. In fact, we've only gotten like better (laughs) at seeing movies. We watch more movies. We're always talking about, we're always learning. We're always challenging each other. So yeah, I've learned so much from you this year. You've taught me so much. You've introduced me to so many films I would have otherwise not seen. I can guarantee you guys we hang out twice as much <laughs> than we we did before, and that is saying something. We talk on the phone every day now. Every single day. <laughs> and I I would think you'd get sick of me having to edit these episodes, or at least my voice. No, not not at all. I not, love your voice. Not great yet. Great voice for radio. Almost as good as Lee's. Yeah, I, Lee takes the cake. You have a great face for radio. Is that the... Uh, that's, I, yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that's that. the compliment. Ugh. <laughs> uh. To like close this out, do you have like like a wish or a goal for the next year? I want to do Twilight. That's a good goal. <laughs> I think we can make that happen like by the end of this year. We don't have quotas to meet. We don't have bosses to answer to. There's no execs. I could release a seven-hour episode, you guys. I could do every single Twilight movie in a row. No breaks. <laughs> yes. Oh, what about you? Any Any final thoughts? Anything you want to do next year? Anything you wanted to do this year that didn't make it? I'm just, oh, you know what? I know something I want to do this next year. I would love to do more episodes with guests because I think our disobedience episode with Olivia, Matilda with Susan, and Happy Together with Charles and Lee have been some of my favorite experiences. And Charles said something at the end of the Happy Together episode that I think about all the time. And maybe Lee, you you echoed this, or maybe this came from you too, but like watching a movie and having your own thoughts about it is one thing. But as soon as you open up the conversation with people who have slightly different opinions, it always brings a richer experience to that film. Like enjoying a film with someone makes it even better. And so I would like to bring more guests onto Subtextual next year. All sorts of guests. Come one, come all if you're hearing this and you are comfortable on the microphone or if there is a podcast host or host that you think that we should have on Subtextual, please reach out to us. We would love to be in conversation with you because Lizzie and I in a vacuum. (laughs) It's like the blind leaving the blind over here. (laughs) We need someone like Leah Charles to be like, the cinematography is reminiscent of, you know, we need, it would be great. Yeah. We need someone to reference so we cannot reference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I also want to take a quick moment to, I don't want to get too sappy, but I know we say this a lot, but it it does mean a great deal to the both of us that you guys are listening. And there is not a day that goes by or an episode that is uploaded where we aren't filled with gratitude that you guys are here with us on this journey and that you connect with us. And so really thank you. I can't wait to be sitting here in this room a year from now doing our second year anniversary episode and being like, okay, and the least downloaded episode <laughs> of the past year was our first anniversary episode. <laughs> I can I, I can guarantee you it's <laughs> absolutely this is all for us. I'm so sorry. Thank you for letting us indulge 
uh, we just like spreadsheets and numbers and stats. And we just had all this information rolling around in our little empty heads. <laughs> we had to dump it out here onto uh, a timeline for you. You guys are going with us through all of our ADHD hyperfixations. Absolutely. And we really appreciate it. Well, here's a toast to one year subtextual. Ching, ching. To a whole nother year. Let's do it. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.